0: you struggle with the fear of failure? Do you ever think to yourself, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I'm going to fail. Uh, parents, do you remember the day that they placed the newborn baby in your first baby, into your arms, mom, wheelchaired you down to the exit of the hospital, and dad stood there with diaper bags, and both of you thought, they're going to let me take this thing home? (laughs) Aren't you coming with me? Maybe you had, in that moment, an overwhelming inadequacy, and you thought to yourself, I don't have what it takes. Maybe you felt the anxiety of, I, I, I can't do this. I remember laying in bed the night that my wife gave birth to our firstborn son, And I laid in bed that night, and I thought to myself, I don't think I can do this. I I just felt overwhelmed. I mean, I I felt as though you might as well just drop me off at the base of the Himalayas and tell me to take this child all the way to the top. I I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. Well, that's how some of us feel about all of life, not just parenting or marriage or business, not just singleness or X, Y, or Z, but that's how some of us feel about all of life. Inadequacy, I don't have what it takes. Anxiety, I can't do this. Here's the truth. On your own, you're right. You say, "All oh, great. Thanks. Came here this morning to be encouraged, and you have just validated my greatest fears. Good job. Glad I came. But here's the gospel. You weren't made to live life on your own. You and I were made to live life in covenant fellowship with God himself and as part of his covenant people, the church. And God assures us as his church that by his grace in Christ, we have been given everything we need. And we will make it to the end. Can I repeat that? Church. We have been given everything we need. And we will make it to the end. Amen. How encouraging. I mean, is that really true? Does the Bible actually teach that? Yeah. Our sermon text assures us that this is true. So take your copy of God's word, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9 is the text that we're considering in our second study of this first letter to the church at Corinth. Now, as we begin, I want to give you my sermon in a sentence. And that doesn't mean that we dismiss after I get to the period of this sentence. That just means that now you know what I'm going to unpack throughout our time together. Here's my sermon in a sentence. We give thanks to God because His grace in Christ enriches us for life and sustains us to the end. That's this whole section, this whole sermon, in one sentence. We are here this morning to give thanks to God because His grace in Christ enriches us for life and sustains us to the end. Now, Christians, this sermon is primarily... For you. Well, actually, it's for the church, corporately. This is about God's grace to his people, the church at Corinth, the church here in Winchester. But as part of the church, we not only understand this corporately, how God enriches us and sustains us corporately, but we also understand it individually. Because if we're part of the church, God's people, God's covenant people, then we receive those blessings that he has poured out on his church. So Christians, this sermon is for you. And here's my prayer is that um, as we study this text, that you will be deeply encouraged because of all that we have in God's cre- in, in, by God's grace in Christ. But uh, non-Christian friend this morning, Even though this sermon is not directly toward you and this text is not directly about you, my prayer is that as you see this wealth that comes to us by God's grace in Christ, that you abandon your solo trek through life and come to Jesus by faith. I'm I'm hoping that you will see that God didn't make you to climb the mountain of life uh, alone. And God didn't equip you to do that, but that he has equipped and sustained us in Christ. So that's my prayer, is that some of you, your eyes will be open to what you're missing out on this morning and and that the beauty and wealth of God's grace in Christ will draw you to him. All right, so there there you go. That's, that's where we're going. That's what we're doing. Let's read God's word together. And uh, let's talk about... God's grace from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 through 9. Verse 4 Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is God's word. Amen and amen. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth because he's concerned about them. He has received some disturbing reports from Chloe's people, that there are problems, serious problems going on at the church that he had the privilege of planting about four years or so ago in his time. He spent 18 months with them. He's gone; been gone about two and a half years now, and he's writing back to them in about 54, 55 A.D., But before he addresses the issues, which he is going to take about 15 chapters to address. Before he addresses their issues, he affirms God's grace in them. Look at verse 4. Before he addresses the issues, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul affirms what God has done in them. And I think we need to be careful here. This is not insincere flattery. This is not the front end of a compliment sandwich, which is completely fake, where Paul is just saying something nice so that he can really get to what he wants to say, and then he's going to follow it up by some insincere flattery at the end. I've I've eaten enough compliment sandwiches in my lifetime to know that when somebody starts complimenting me, I just put on my hard hat and wait for what's really coming next, right? That's not what Paul's doing here. This is sincere. Paul is praying to God about what God has done. He's thanking God for them and what God has done in that church. Now, it is worth noting that Paul does not thank God for a bunch of stuff that he thanks God for about lots of other churches. I mean, you read the other letters to Colossae and Ephesians and, you know, John and Paul, uh, Peter's letters and they give thanks for their faith and their love and their hope and the way they love on each other. Paul didn't say anything about that because it's not true of the Corinthian church at this time. But what does he give thanks for? The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Friends, the encouragement that Paul is about to give is as true as the issues that he's about to address. What God has done is as real as the mess they're making of their church. And, and that's an important lesson for us. Because so often when I look at my own life, all I can see is the mess some sometimes when I think about others or my kids or people that I work with or or whatever, maybe you have dealings with other people. Maybe you're a supervisor and, and you're 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 thinking about a particular employee, you're concerned about this employee or this friend, and all you can see is the mess. Here's an important lesson. We need to affirm God's work in others. Affirmation precedes correction. Thank God for what's true and right before we deal with what's broken. Because there's a lot of evidences of God's grace in you and in me. Let's not overlook those. Let's thank God for them. And so what Paul emphasizes here in 4 through 9 is God's grace in Christ. Both of those are very important. God's grace in Christ. So again, verse 4. He says, I'm thankful for you because of the grace of God, God's grace, that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Grace is emphasized here because we have a big problem. The problem is we're separated from God. We have offended God. We've broken God's laws. We're sinners. God's grace is highlighted because he has given sinners his unmerited favor in Christ. He has called us to turn away from our sin and to trust Jesus Christ, whom is the embodiment of God's grace to us. And through him, we will be redeemed. How? Well, friends, the death of Jesus Christ defeats the condemnation of our sin. The death of Jesus Christ defeats the curse of death that separates us from God. And his resurrection does even more. His resurrection over those things ensures that those who are united to Christ by faith share in his sonship, share in his righteousness, share in his Life. So we are reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is grace. And that's not something that we deserve, not something that we have earned. And so at the very beginning of this letter to Corinth, and remember what we learned last week about Corinth, it was a center for trade and industry. In that area, Corinth was all about achieving success by working hard. Paul says, What you really need, you can't earn, you can't work for, you can't be nice enough, intelligent enough, skilled enough to get. You can only receive it hum- humbly from the hand. Of our gracious God. who Paul says when I think about you church. Corinth. Winchester Baptist. When I think about you. I'm thankful. Because of God's grace. To you. And where is that grace? It is in Christ. Now. For those of you who read this text leading up to our study this morning, did you notice how many times Paul mentioned Christ in just these few verses? Did you notice that? Look at our section, verse 4 through 9. This is worth noting. Grace is in Christ. So verse 4. In Christ Jesus, verse 5, in him. Verse 6, the testimony about Christ. Verse 7, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you walk through Corinth, you're going to see temples to many, many gods. But what is the church? It is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in any other God or goddess, not in arts or athletics, not in labor and industry, but it is in Christ alone that we receive grace. That we receive what he's going to talk about next, what enriches us for all of life and sustains us until the end, only in Christ. So friends, if, if you are still considering Jesus and whether to turn away from your self autonomy, I guess self isn't necessary there, to turn away from your autonomy and, and repent under the lordship of Jesus Christ, if you're still considering that, understand that every breath you take, separated apart from God, apart from Christ, is living your life without what you need. Living your life headed for destruction rather than being sustained to the end. So Paul emphasizes grace in Christ. Do you see that? grace in Christ. And then as he moves on, Paul encourages the church by highlighting two that's right two points to my sermon today. Yes. Now you're going to notice there's five subpoints on the first one, four subpoints on the second one. So you can just kind of overlook the fact that we really have nine points to this sermon but I've made my wife happy by only having two points to our sermon today. He highlights two amazing outworkings of the grace of God in Christ. Listen, we sing about amazing grace all the time, but our whole worship service this morning from beginning to end has, has been developed so that we understand that God's grace does more than just rescue us from sin. God's grace enriches us for all of life and it sustains us all the way to the end. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, it's not as if we were tiny little babies who were in peril and God rescued us from the peril and then set us on us and said, okay, now you guys are on your own. No, that's not grace. Grace doesn't just rescue. Grace equips and sustains for all of life. So, number one, God's grace enriches his church. That's verse four, five through seven. God's grace enriches his church for all of life. Read again, verse five, six, and seven. In every way. You want to circle that? be good thing to do. In every way, you were enriched in him. Got a highlighter on you? Might want to consider that phrase. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, by His grace in Christ, enriches His church for all of life. And what we have here are five explanations of the way God's grace in Christ enriches His church. Did you see them? Number one, we are enriched in every way. How many ways? Every way. What do we get in Christ? Everything we need for all of life. Why do I keep saying all of life? Because look at the end of verse seven. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, life is until God reveals the Lord Jesus Christ, until Christ comes back. So this life continues until Jesus is revealed as being the, the king of the kingdom and his kingdom is set up on earth, the new heavens and the new earth, once and for all forever, then this life stops and eternity begins. While we're here, for this life, you know, your Sunday through Saturday, nine to five, your kids, your money, your job, your retirement, your friends, your family, your problems, for this life, God's grace has enriched you for all of it, in every way. We don't really even need to talk about some of the specifics that Paul gets into if we just recognize that, number one, grace enriches the church in every way. And that word enriched is the word for wealthy. It's the rich. We have been made wealthy. God has infused our life with a wealth of resources that we will desperately need for this journey. So there you stand at the, at the hospital exit with that newborn baby thinking, what in the world am I going to do now? And, and they, they give you a duffel bag and say, here's everything you're going to need for life. And you're like, yes. Yes. They don't do that because they can't do that. But God, God's grace in Christ, hands us everything we need, friends. Then Paul gets specific. In every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. He gets specific about two things. And those of you who have read 1 Corinthians will know that speech and knowledge were highly prized by the church. In Corinth. They loved speech and they loved knowledge. And so, what God says is the speech that is really important, that you really need, the knowledge that you really need, God has given you by grace in Christ. You didn't just earn it or learn it in school or practice it to become what you are, but it's given to you by God. In Christ. So grace enriches the church in all speech. Speech is not just the ability to talk, it's what we say. This is, this is talking about confessing and sharing and preaching the truth about God. This is talking about God's word. It's Christians, the church is called to speak on behalf of God. And his point, Paul's point here, is that God, it's God, it's God who enables us to speak because of God's grace in you. God has enabled you to speak in whatever way is necessary in life. Think about that. I know I have felt this many, many times in conversations with people where I'm really kind of overwhelmed by thinking, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid to open my mouth because I'm I'm afraid that in that moment I'm going to say something stupid. Well, I have, and I will. But the fact is, we don't have to walk around thinking, I don't know what to say, and I don't know how to say it. As one commentator said, Paul shatters these excuses. We are enriched in him in all speech. Number two, or number three, grace enables the church in all knowledge. Knowledge, again, is a really huge concern for the church at Corinth. Did you know that knowledge is mentioned 16 times in the two letters from Paul to Corinth and only five times everywhere else in his letters? Knowledge was a big deal to the church at Corinth. Where do you get knowledge from the philosophers, from your school, from the news? Where do you get knowledge? Paul says you've been enriched with all the knowledge that you need for life by grace in Christ. You have all the knowledge that you need. This is not the only place that Paul talks about this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge? Christ. Romans chapter 15 Paul writes to the church at Rome I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct each other. We have all the knowledge that we need by grace in Christ. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you and we have been given a wealth of everything we need for life by God? Or, or do we walk around under this constant cloud of inadequacy like Eeyore? Whoa, Five explanations of the way God's grace in Christ enriches the church. Number four. Notice in verse six, he pauses for a moment to say what God's grace in every way, in all knowledge and in in all speech has done. He says in verse six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The fact that God's grace is evident in you confirms the testimony of Christ among you. The the wealth that God has poured out onto his church confirms something. It proves something about the church. What? The testimony of Christ was proven to be true and at work among you. So the way God's grace has enriched them confirms that God is at work among them. Well, we know something about this letter, right? They're also at work among them, dividing each other and fussing and fighting over who's got the better gifts. But God's grace is evident among them that God is at work. He's not finished. They're imperfect, just like me and you and us. God's at work. And the testimony, the the witness of the person and work of Jesus Christ is evidenced among them. I, I think this is a good opportunity to ask a personal question. What real evidence does our church give that God is at work Among us. For those of you who claim to be a Christian. What real evidence. Is there. In your own life. That confirms. The testimony about Christ. In you personally. We ought to be able to point to ways. That we have been enriched by God's grace in Christ. Should we not? Grace enriches the church in every way. In all speech. In all knowledge. Which confirms the testimony about Christ among his church. Number five. Grace enriches the church so that. You see there in verse seven. Now there is a result. Why has God enriched the church this way? So that, here's the purpose. Verse 7, so that, church at Corinth, Winchester Baptist Church, you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything you need. Everything you need. God has enriched his church so that the church lacks nothing. No gift that is necessary for this life on earth to do what the church has been called to do and to be what the church has been called to be. We lack nothing. Don't care how big or small we are. Don't care how rich or poor poor we are financially. We lack nothing. Because we're wealthy by the grace of God in Christ. Christian, that's true of you personally. You lack nothing. You're not inadequate. You might not be able to dunk a basketball, but Paul's not talking about basketball here. He's talking about living as God's people. Until... Jesus comes and sets up the new kingdom. You've got everything you need. Man. How would you live if you really were certain that you had everything you needed, that you weren't inadequate for what God had called us to be? and do. The church lacks no gift. What gifts? Well, certainly any of the gifts that Paul's about to talk about in chapter 12 through 14, which I'm sure we'll get to by God's grace, and if the Lord Jesus doesn't come before then, And I'm going to be just as interested to find out what we talk about on those days as you are. But it's not limited to that. It's every gift. It's not lacking in any gift. So we have everything that we need. Every gift. And for what? Well, for living life here. And now. Christians, we're not left to our own resources. We can be sure that we have everything we need. So God, in his grace in Christ, enriches his church for all of life. How might we apply that to our Lives this morning, well, first of all, I suggest that that would cause us to give thanks. I mean, how encouraging. Give thanks. And not break our arms patting ourselves on the back or hanging our diplomas on the wall, but recognizing that we've received everything we have by grace in Christ. Give thanks for what we have. Number two, I, I suggest that we live. We don't just give thanks, but we live this life with confidence and hope rather than surrounded by a cloud of inadequacy and inability. You have what you need to be and do what God's called you to do wherever you are, whether you're single or married or a parent, or whether you're entering the the tough climb of the teen years, or whether you're financially down or financially up, whether you're looking at retirement, you've got what everything you need by grace in Christ. The second amazing outworking of grace here is that God not only enriches his church for life, but then verse 8 and 9 teaches us that God's grace sustains his church to the end. God's grace sustains, sustains his church to the end. Look in verse 7 through 9. He tags this to the end of of 7 where he says, as you wait for the revealing, the uncovering of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul just stops to praise God. There should be exclamation points. God is faithful by whom you and we were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's grace sustains his church to the end. And what we see here are four promises, four assurances, Christian. That you and we as the church will be sustained by God's grace in Christ all the way to the end. First of all, what does this word sustained mean? Who will sustain you? It's it's the same word as who will make you firm. Who will set your feet on a solid rock and make your faith firm. Rock solid. Now that is a miracle in itself for this guy right here. Because nothing about me feels firm and secure. I feel like shifting sand. Even if I'm built on a rock, I'm constantly fearing failure and fearing that I'm going to fall away. It's because I don't understand 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I walk around in unnecessary fear because I feel like I have to sustain my faith until the end. When Paul is saying here, God, by his grace in Christ, is the one who will sustain you all the way to the end. That is really good news. He's going to fix you and make you firm in the faith all the way to the end. God's grace doesn't just save us from sin. And then tell us to follow Jesus under our own power. But I believed that for the first thirty years of my Christianity. Did you? Like I'm saved, but now I gotta make it on my own. John Piper gives a great illustration that God's that, that God's grace to us is, is not like the NASCAR track where where we follow the pace car around the track on our own power and then run the race ourselves. It's not God's grace. God's grace is like a locomotive where we're coupled, we're linked to Christ by faith. And God's the one who puts his hands around it and says, I'm going to make sure this link stays firm and secure, linked to Christ. And we move through life under his locomotive power, not our own. I'm nothing but a boxcar and a pretty bent up ugly one at that. But I'm linked to God by faith and grace in Christ. That's our hope. God's grace sustains His church. Number one, to the end. Yes. All the way to the end. To the end. Of what? When Jesus Christ is revealed. To the end. When the new king, when we're in and secure. Paul said to the church at Philippi, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started it. He'll finish it. Number two, God's grace will sustain the church There will be no charges that can ever be raised against us on the day of judgment because those who are in Christ by faith by grace, are, what's the Bible word? Guiltless. Try that on your guilt-ridden soul. We are as righteous as Jesus is because our righteousness is not located here. I don't stand before my God with my own righteousness. I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And that is without spot, without wrinkle, without any blemish whatsoever. Jesus was guiltless. Therefore, I am. And in this life, I'm both sinner and saint. Every day is a war. Every hour of every day is a war against my flesh and my pride and my lust and my self-centeredness. How about you? Will you start confessing your sins so that I'm not the only one having to do this publicly? Guilt, 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 guilt. But by God's grace, guiltless. All the way to the end. To the church at Rome, he said, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who raised. Who is seated at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us? There's no one in the judge's chamber left to bring charges against us because God justified us, he declared us righteous, and Jesus is our advocate every time we sin. Guiltless friends. What a a wealth we have. Grace sustains us guiltless to the end, number three. Why? How? Verse 9, because God is faithful. Not because you are faithful. Now, this should call us to be faithful, right? but we are saved and secure and and sustained to the end because God is faithful. And number four, he explains. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We will be sustained to the end because God is faithful. And number four, because God has called us into the fellowship of his son. Because God, the one who is faithful, is the one who has called us. Our salvation did not start With us calling on God. It started with God calling us. And not just with an open invitation, laying it on the table, and then like a gentleman walking away, saying, take it if you want it. But God's effectual, powerful call Draws his elect, those whom he has chosen, draws his elect into what? Fellowship with his son. Now, we have reduced fellowship to eating together. That is fellowship. Love it. But fellowship biblically means to be a shareholder in something. It's to be so much part that you share in it. We now share in the sonship of Jesus. So the reason that we will be sustained to the end is because it's God who called us to be his sons, united us to Christ by faith, and will sustain us all the way to the end because we're part of the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ now. And God will never divorce his covenant people. By the way, that's why you should never divorce your spouse. Because your marriage is a picture of the marriage. And the Lord Jesus Christ will never divorce his bride. God will never put away his people. He's the one who started it. Romans tells us those whom he predestined, he called Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified, beginning to end. Our salvation didn't start with us. It doesn't depend on us. Salvation is of the Lord by grace, through faith, in Christ. And that enriches us for life and sustains us to the end. Not church, be encouraged today and thank God for the wealth that we have in Christ. And then let's go and live. Let's go live as if we're going to be sustained all the way to the end and we have everything we need because it's true. Let's pray together. Oh, God, I want to thank you so much for your grace to us in Christ. Thank you that you have called us to yourself. You have opened our eyes to our sin. You've opened our eyes to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have given us faith so that we could respond to turn away from our solo trek through life, our Self-rule. You have given us the faith to believe that we're not God, you are. We're not King, Jesus is. And because you started us, this in us, you will sustain it. And we want to thank you. We praise you. And as this next song will say, when our faith feels like it's going to fail. I pray that you would remind us that you will hold us fast. And you do that for the glory of Jesus and for our good. And so we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please.